This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome, everybody. It's a beautiful Tuesday morning. Well, it's a little schmutzy outside, but at the same time, it's still a great day to be alive. And and we thank God for, for grace and mercy because you know what? The Steelers won. Gadzooks, it was terrific. A lot of good things happening. First of all, we welcome back into the locker room is Jacob, our, our leading ninja, said we got to give him a welcome back, a proper welcome back, or at least introduce him because he's been gone for so long. Hey, Max, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Here's the funny thing. It's, it has not been that long. It, it, it was a Friday and a Monday. <laughs> Hopefully, Steeler Nation heard us on heard me on Sunday. Yes, so it was like a little bit of an appetizer, but uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a little tough. Well, it's good to have you back, and we got to get to the planes, trains, and automobiles that uh, I know that you had to undergo coming back from uh, Cleveland. Because as as somebody, you know, I was sitting there going, "Who wants to get stuck in Cleveland an extra day?" Gadzooks, who wants? Who in the world wants to have to do that? Uh, nobody. No, <laughs> said no one ever. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was literally the most depressing thing, trying to find something to eat for dinner mm. there in Cleveland. Wow. We're not known for anything, and the town was kind of desolate. I mean, after I guess because of the loss. Well, the, and yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was the big thing. You remember Saturday yeah, night? Like, yeah, that was Saturday night. Yeah. That's true. Good point. Well, the only thing is I've said before, and I'll say it again, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame isn't complete until you put Joe Grusecki in the Iron City House Rockers right here from Pittsburgh, put those guys in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now we're talking some real meat, okay? That's what you uh, got to do. Who? <laughs> you, you, know, you know Joe Grusecki. Oh, that's right. You're a, you're a new millennial guy. If you had grown up here in the 80s like I did, you know, come to Pittsburgh in 1980, Joe Grusecki and the Iron City House Rockers. They were tearing it up in Pittsburgh. Him, and then there was other guys like Norm, Norm Nardini and all them guys. They just tore it up here. They, those guys, that was rock and roll, baby, back in the day. That's the way it was done. I will take your word for it. <laughs> you youngins, I forget about that. And by the way, we have to uh, take a moment to um, welcome our uh, ninja in training. Yeah, we got Garrett. Oh. Yeah, Garrett, our ninja in training. He's sitting right over there just grinning away like a Cheshire cat. Poor dude, he was downstairs. I could have brought him up with me. I didn't know that he was starting this morning. So he's, you know, he's on his phone. And, I, you know, I saw him. I was like, oh, I should have said hi. But the, the elevator door is closed, and here later on I meet him. So welcome, Garrett. We welcome you into the locker room. Yeah, that's what Garrett has to just speak up and say. Hey, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a young ninja. Yeah, in training. <laughs> a young ninja, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. well, Max. I you know since we haven't had a chance to really uh, commiserate since uh, the end of the game, um, tell me you know first of all I, I saw this video. Of uh, and uh, of uh, Ben walking off after the game through the you know the players' tunnel, and there yeah. I don't know if you saw it. It's on social media, but there's a a uh, there was a wave, you know, uh, from Ben. It looked like a 
a salutary, um, drop the mic, you know, walk off home run, I'm riding off into the sunset type of moment for Ben. Do you think that you think that's a, a you know saying goodbye? Well, uh, I was walking off the field, you know, the same time as Ben into the tunnel, and I was staring at him because you know Bert was right next to him. Right, he had just done an interview, and he and he was walking off. And I heard I heard him say I heard him you know telling the crowd hey you know yep I did it again you know type of deal <laughs> no he didn't say I own you I still own you did he yeah yeah no he said no he did, he did not do the discount double check belt uh, championship belt and go into Cleveland Browns ownership even though he could probably talk to Jimmy Haslam and probably get uh, right probably get 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 a piece if he wanted when he retired um, but you know it was. Um, it it was it, I don't want to put it as ominous because when I saw it, it was kind of like. Didn't yep, you feel did, like he was that wave? But the, I mean, that wave almost like you know, um, it's been good, guys. You know, this is a boom. I you just all things in the universe are correct. Uh, you come back and you avenge the loss. It's not really avenging the loss because yeah. last year's last year, but you know, it, it's still got to sit kind of. He, he righted the ship. Yes. Right the ship. There you go. Because they because they steered off course last year. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way to yeah. put it. I, I think I think I think that's the way. It's a course correction. So I think he was like, <laughs> "Hey, you're welcome." Like the Avengers putting putting the Infinity Stones back in the timeline. You know. It's, oh it's yeah. One of those that that yeah, works. You know. That's right. Yeah. No. Everything's back to normal. You guys lose to us. There we go. Thank you. You're welcome. Curtain call. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. You know, he he walked off and he had that look on his face, though. Just kind of like, that's right. I'm here. We did it again. I want to thank you, Cleveland. I've enjoyed beating your butts, you know, for the past 18 years. Um, and yeah. I'm going to ride off into the sunset. I don't know. You know, because I'll tell you, this dude is playing well. And he is one of the big reasons why that, oh, that one and three turned now into four and three. Because he has done so much to right the ship, as you said. And he has done tremendous amount. One of the things I think that was just great here was the balance, Max. I mean, you got roughly – we're as close to 50-50 run pass balance as we've been in a long time. Well, I think that's one of the key things. When you think about how the Steelers have to get where they're going to, to go – is it has to be through balance. It must be through balance. It cannot uh, rest on Ben's shoulder. You cannot live and die by Ben's shoulder. And you that's why you go and you get a running back in the first round. You get a tight end in the second round. You go and you get a, a center, a tackle. You get all of these pieces to support Ben and support the run game, the play-action game. Uh, you know, having the chain movers in that third position, you you need all these pieces to be successful. And what they showed us, you know, on Sunday was Ben being highly efficient, right? 22 of 34, 266, one touchdown. Very efficient game. But Najee Harris, 26 carries. Boy, isn't that, isn't that good to see? That oh, good to see? is that good to see? 26 carries. I don't care about his average because it's the intent that's there. That's yes. that's what I want to see. Well, you the still need production, obviously, football. but well, you, you know do, what I'm talking about. But, but 
considering what we had last year, Wolf. Right. I just want to see a tenth in tenth. <laughs> okay. Okay. Listen. I like that. I like that. I know, like I know you said last year is last year, but apples to apples, this is what this is what we're trying to build off of, right? If you don't know where True. you came from, you don't know where you're going, right? <laughs> Good point by you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the intent was there, and Najee had some punishing runs. He was it was consistent. It was on schedule. That was the other thing. It was a lot of on schedule runs. So. This balance is what we need. And and guess what? It was an ugly victory. When you look at the score, you're like 15 to 10. You're like, how did they even get to that mathematically? You start counting on your fingers. Right. Your eyes start rolling the back of your head. But at the same time, it's like we wa- we got the dub. And we're probably going to have a lot more ugly victories like that this year. But I just want them to be okay and comfortable with it's going to be gritty, it's going to be nasty, and it's going to come down to, to four quarters. This isn't that same high flying where to put a million points up, you know, type of all. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs, the poster child for high flying, high scoring. Oh games. yeah, they're go- they're going through some tough times. So I think that this is the year of the ugly win. Um, and it's it's going to be something that we're going to look at and we're going to say, you know what? Ugly's good to me as long as it keeps stacking in that W column and stays away from the L column. <laughs> I do like it. You know, I, I talk about the Steelers out-browning the Browns at what the Browns do best, which was running the ball. I mean, that's a buck seventy. They held them down to less than 100. That was tremendous. But part of the success of being able to run the ball was judicious use of the passing game to offset and balance. You know, you got, what, 34 attempts by Ben. You got... 32 rushing attempts. That's about as 50-50 as you get. That's great because we've been out of balance so much with, you know, the the passing game being up in the 70 percentiles. You know, the rushing game being down in the 30 percentiles. So just as you spoke earlier when you said the value of just attempts – just the attempts alone, you know, the breaking away of the rock. You know, you got to slam that hammer and just bang, bang, bang. And you know, as well as I do, the value of second-half performances when you've been putting some guys on the dirt. Those guys got to bench press themselves, getting them off of the grass, you know, and you put them down. Um, they start to bicker in the huddle. They start to argue. They start to get mad at each other because so-and-so is not holding his gap or whatever. And you can feel that intensity shift towards you on the offense as you go about just beating the tar out of them in the second half. And I love that aspect of this game that we saw. What we saw in my mind was the first real tangible hard Hard, big step forward of the maniac, the, the Clemaniac fivesome up front and watching those guys go at it. That's That was tremendous to me. I loved watching the aggressiveness. Was it all perfect? No. Was it? Uh, does it need some work? Yes. But boy, was that fun watching these guys slug it out in Cleveland. Did you just come up with a new catchphrase for the offensive line, the Clemaniacs? I I doubt it. I mean, you know, these things roll off my gourd. It's kind of like my wife one time said to me. She said, you know, you have thoughts that go from your brain to your mouth like a gumball machine. (laughs) That is absolutely glorious. You know. The analogy is so perfect. Well, (laughs) here's the thing about it. You know a, a good offensive line coach, you know, a good coach like that who 
um, highlights the physicality of play and is technique-oriented and the messaging gets through. And if your big dogs carry the water early on and show the younger guys how it's done, like the Trey Turners. One thing I love about Trey Turner, Trey Turner's Mr. Mean up front. You watch him. He plays with an edge. And you got to love those guys that play with an edge. Oh, and, and that was the thing. I mean, this is why Trey Turner was brought in, right? You wanted a veteran who'd been there and who could set the pace, who could set the tempo for the rest of the offensive line. And I think, you know, we're just now, Trey's finally, you know, like you said, he's he's mentally adapted to this offense. He's physically in shape for what he's asked to do. And he goes out there and he carries a certain, uh, how, how do I say this, a certain oomph in mm-hmm. his play. I think that's the best way to say it, a little oomph right. in his play. And I think that that is finally permeated. Like, guys answered the call, you know, because, listen, Kendrick Green does not need any help in that department. No. <laughs> you know no. what I'm saying? Like, Kendrick's like, oh, is that what we're doing today? All right. I've been waiting all week. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when you look at, like, the Dotsons of the world, the Chooks and the Dan Moores, you look at that, and sometimes you need that physical representation right by you to say, it's okay to get pissed off. It's okay. Right. It's okay to not like that guy. It's okay to put him in the ground and enjoy it. It's okay to be a gardener. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And those seeds just happen to be orange and brown. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, just put it in the ground. I know it might become a pumpkin or it might be a dud. I don't know. But plant that seed and then keep going. Um, and, and, And they just, they played well. You know, the only thing that I would say is schematically, I wish there would have been a little bit more help to Dan Moore in the right. pass pro situations. Right. Um, just because when you have a premier pass rusher against a rookie, you want to make sure that you're giving that rookie as much confidence and giving him an opportunity to be successful as much as possible. I, I get you have – hey, listen. As a former left tackle, I get it. Sometimes it's like, hey, you're playing this position. you got to go out there and earn it. But I felt like for him – because we knew that Dan isn't that seasoned veteran left tackle, right? He hasn't gotten it. He's getting his legs under him, but he hasn't gotten them completely under him. Like, there's still some inconsistency in the past. I wish there had been a little bit more chip and body presence help in those situations. I'm glad you had some misdirection run that was run right at Miles Garrett so he could get that kind of little bit of extra, extra zing. Mm-hmm. Like, I get to go attack this dude and ball is coming my side on a misdirection, so maybe he's going to hold up a little bit so I get a little bit more chest for my contact. But at the same time, you know, he did a pretty good job. Considering what he was asked to do, I thought thought he performed well. Yes, you gave up the sack, but, hey, listen, everybody everybody gets got at some point, and it wasn't that bad. It wasn't like you got blown off and you missed the guy and you're, like, giving the Olay block. You know what I'm saying? It was was under a physical – physical fight and he just happened to lose it at that point but I mean I think and I think that's the other tough thing right Wolf offensive linemen are held to such a higher standard than any (laughs) other position on the field you know what I'm saying like I gotcha yeah offensive line like if you if if you go say say the offensive line went 22 of 34 blocking okay we would have we would have open tryouts on Monday absolutely but if any other position goes, you know. 22 of 34. 22 of 34 is like, eh, okay. 
We'll get him next time. <laughs> or, rece- or a receiver, you know, has has like you know nine targets and he catches six of them. Oh, he's still good because those six were really good. Yes, he has three drops, but you know he got six good ones. Um, this guy's good, but offensive line, no. If you go thirty-two of thirty-four, we're still dissecting your play. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, true. What did he do wrong on those two plays <laughs> when he? Weighs more than everybody else on the field, and he's there every single play. He doesn't get a break. He doesn't get to come out formation-wise like, oh, oh, is this the is this the four offensive lineman formation? Okay, I get to, I get a break. No, there's never a four offensive lineman rotation. It's always five. When you're counting the eleven, you should just say, who are the six? You know what I'm saying? Like, who are the I six? Gotcha. It's a six man rotation because the five men are always there. And there's so that that's my that's my national gripe day for offensive lineman uh, moment. But anywho, you're and absolutely think, right. The, and the and let me hit, just put it in context well. even more: twenty-two of thirty-four, but you gave up two sacks. Okay, you know, I mean, even if you were thirty-two yeah. of thirty-four and the two were sacks, it's a terrible day. That's just horrible. That is the beast of horrible burden that day. we are. That's the way it is. All and right. we look at the D linemen and we give them props. Oh, he got two sacks. <laughs> what happened on the other 67 plays? <laughs> Nothing. But he got two sacks. This guy's going to the Pro Bowl. What? <laughs> That's who we are, brother. That's who we are. This is about my travel delays. I'm sorry. This is going to leak into the day. Just, just know that I'm going to find a pebble in my shoe every segment. Just, 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 just deal with it today, guys. We All will. right, that we will. Okay, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to have the great Bob Labriola checking in, talking Steelers everything. You know, he is the Steelers historian. He is the editor of Steelers Digest, and uh, he is just an all-around great, knowledgeable dude. So we're going to bring Bob Labriola on after this. You're in the locker room with Wolf Starks and the new ninjas, as well as the old ninjas, right here in the locker room. In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. You know, it's it's great. You know a writer is really good when you read some of the things he writes and you can hear the writer's voice in your head as you read it. You know what I'm talking about, Max? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The voices. You can hear you could hear his voice permeate through the answer and that you know that nothing is lost from his mouth to his fingertips. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons we love Bob Labriola and we welcome him into the locker room and labs. <laughs> There's a guy that wrote to you, and I know you were besieged by everybody wanting to know every ins and outs of the <laughs> Of the fake field goal attempt. But there's one guy who wrote and he says, why does it look like kickers are kindergartners getting hit by adults? <laughs> they, they, don't, they often don't know how to take a hit at all. You know, I mean, like, like, okay, wait a minute. Isn't his job to kick the ball? I mean, kick the ball and not get hit? I mean, I don't know. What do you say, Laps? <laughs> I, you know, I mean, because I've asked, uh, you know, coaches this before, and – um 
you know, I asked Mike Tomlin one time about covering kickoffs or, or something, and he looked at me and he said, Boswell gets paid to put the ball between the pipes. He said, <laughs> if, if I need him, if I need him to make a tackle on a kickoff, I've got other problems. <laughs> and that's, that's what it is. Isn't that what it is? That's what it yeah. is, brother. <laughs> I just found that so funny that a gentleman would would, call, would uh, write about that. And sometimes, you know, I look at some of the, the questions you get, and you get everything from uh, from the Gene Steratore question of, of who in the world is going to do what as far as, you know, the penalties to, you know, you got somebody complaining about the wide receivers and, and false starts, and I don't know. How about, how about doing the research Yeah, know that <laughs> – Four of the thirty-six penalties, you know, are on wide for false starts, and and I mean, and, and that was amazing. That the, yeah, and all due respect to that guy, the submission. He also wanted to know how uh, all the other teams in the league's wide receivers, how many false start penalties do they have, and what is the percentage of their team's penalties? I mean. I'd, I'd need to send that to CMU, you know, for a research project. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you look at, Les. You're just like, how much free time do you have <laughs> at home? Exactly. I, Can I, you, you know, just go know. outside? <laughs> Can you just go outside for 15 minutes and enjoy some fresh air? <laughs> <laughs> the basement so is Max, the exhaust pipes tied in there. <laughs> so Max, I got a question from you. For you, what's okay. more, what's less what's less miserable? Flying to Cleveland from Phoenix. And all the time that that takes, or riding the bus from Pittsburgh to Cleveland. No, it's definitely the flight because my flight got canceled. The bus, you know, oh, if you, if, okay. if if a tire gets flat, you can fix the flat within within a couple of hours and get back on the road. I was stuck yeah. in Cleveland for an additional day, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I really wanted to get out of here. I really, really wanted to get out of here because I mean, there's nothing appealing to me in Cleveland. There's not not a thing, not a thing appealing except for leaving with a W. And as a player, here's what made it even better as a player was yes, on the way there we had the bus ride, and you're just like, eh, but we got to pick the movie on the bus. You know, you you picked your bus that you wanted to ride on based on what movies were available on the bus to watch. Uh, <laughs> And then on the way back, you know, this is this is the uh, this is the um, this is the perk of being a vet. There's a special little bus that, as soon as it fills up with your guys, you're out. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a little unknown fact. So that was a, the bus ride back was always more fun than the bus ride there. But yeah, flying to and from Cleveland, I realize why this city is the city that it is, and <laughs> I. I, I was dreading my life, sitting in my hotel room, just twiddling my thumbs at the wall, watching the time pass. And then 4 a.m. could not have came soon enough for me to get to the airport and return oh my rental my. car and get on the plane. But, yeah, I mean, it was a long day because I didn't get back to, you know, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I didn't get back to to Arizona till almost 3 p.m. Uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon local so it was just it was it was a frustrating day. So no, definitely not. No doubt about. It. We're right in the middle of getting a technical difficulty. We got to get Labs back on the phone somehow. Uh, we dis discombobulated his phone, which uh, you know these things happen on big jobs like this. As the late great Mike Webster once said, 
You know, actually, it was a uh, blitz that uh, earhold Mark Malone um, got crushed in between two guys, knocked his helmet off. We were at Three Rivers Stadium, and the crowd went absolutely bonkers, and Mark hit his head on the on the ground really hard. His helmet got knocked off and everything, but he, he recovered enough. And so, as as Mike said, though, he, he said, you'll have that on big jobs like this. And so we got Labs back, and Labs, I got to ask you, you know, you look at the balance that the Steelers put out there on Sunday between the run and the pass. And I got to say, Gadzooks, that looked awfully good to me. What do you think? Oh, yeah. And, and you got some of the other things I noticed. You know, they were moving Ben a little bit more. Not, not that he was running or anything, but um, I don't know what they call waggles, maybe. You know, right. Kind of mm-hmm. the yeah. pocket a little bit. Uh, I, I think that um, is something that helps. Uh, and he was under center more, um, which not only, I, I think, um, maybe helps the running game a little bit, but also maybe puts a little less stress on those young offensive linemen in terms of the silent count. Sure, you know, okay, you, guys can, you, guys can, you guys can attest that it was loud there on Sunday. Mm, no doubt. Yeah, it, it absolutely was, Labs. And, you know, what, you know, I was excited to see just kind of the implementation of, of the the tight ends getting also uh, more targets. I mean, the, what was your what was your assessment when you look at how Ben spread the ball around? I mean, you had what seven different receivers getting catches, but I thought Zach Gentry getting three receptions, and then of course Fryermuth coming away with the amazing juggling act, <laughs> um, you know, in the end zone to pull to haul in that touchdown at the end to pretty much seal it. Um, just, you know, just the growth of this tight end group. I mean, the versatility, I mean, what, what are you seeing or what do you like about how they're deploying them into the offense? Well, you know, the Friar Moose thing, um, you know, he kind of came with a reputation as a receiver, certainly from his career at Penn state. And I think tight ends, you know, just from my experience of, you know, watching the Steelers play and what has traditionally given the Steelers defense problems, um, you know, tight ends in the red zone oftentimes are, you know, either create difficult matchups for the defense or sometimes maybe those guys kind of slip through the cracks when you're, you know, worrying about, uh, just to use the Browns offense as an example, you're worried about Nick Chubb and or Kareem Hunt when he's healthy, um, and then the, re- the receivers that, you know, the, the wide receivers that the Browns have, plus somewhat mobile quarterback, um, and then... So sometimes the tight end can just kind of, um, you know, slip out unnoticed. And so if you have a tight end who is a decent receiver, uh, dependable, competent, like Fryermuth, utilizing him down there, I think, you know, is, is a virtually a no-brainer. Uh, now, the Gentry thing, uh, kudos to him. You know, this, this guy was a quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and even when he – and when he first started, or right after quarterback, before he became a tight end, he played a little wide receiver. And neither one of those positions are as physically demanding uh, as tight end in terms of you know blocking requirements. And so, you know, kudos to him for uh, first of all transforming his body, uh, and then you know his mindset, uh, you know, and becoming a more physical kind of guy. And you know, I don't think there's even any issue. Uh, that he's the best blocking tight end on the Steelers team right now. And who knows, he might be developing into a 
a caliber of blocker who is, you know, good compared to other tight ends league-wide. And so, you know, getting him on the field to help with either Miles Garrett in pass protection or, uh, you know, with the running game over in Holmes for Najee, uh, you know, again, to me that seems like something that uh, should be implemented more and more and more moving forward. And it probably was one of the uh, elements that contributed to that balance, Wolf, that you were talking about. Absolutely. You know, I, I've long, I've really enjoyed watching the development of Zach Gentry. I mean, to me, you know, like you talked about, his physicality was just, well, it wasn't very good when he got here. But you can see it rise and you see his physicality in the play now. He's throwing people on the ground for crying out loud. You know, I mean, he has really developed into uh, an excellent run blocker for a 6'8 guy to bend his knees and get under and up and create that leverage. It takes some knee bending to do that, but he has certainly done it and he's done well. And that 24-yard catch over the middle says to me, you know, People are not going to be overlooking him as much in the in the future because he was wide open on a on a first and twenty or second twenty whatever it was, and he caught that twenty four yarder. That was a big catch. Yeah, the thing with Gentry as a receiver, you compare him to Fryermuth. In my opinion, Fryermuth I think can run routes as a tight end and make catches. Uh, Gentry is more of a um, you know run out, uh, get open, turn around, throw it to him, and he'll catch it. If you know, you understand the difference, right? You know, in the two things, um, but you know that's that's very very uh, acceptable to me to be that kind of a receiver from that position, especially if you're bringing what he brings, you know, as a blocker. And I just think that, you know, maybe uh, a couple of years into his NFL career, you know, you have that aha moment where maybe a coach tells you this, or you know, you figure it out on your own or whatever. But if I if I don't become a better blocker, I don't have a career. So, Absolutely. You know, that, I think that helps you with that mindset, um, you know, that you were just talking about him developing. And, again, kudos, kudos to him for either realizing that or accepting the challenge from someone or whatever, but developing into the kind of player that, you know, I think this guy has a future with his franchise. No, absolutely. I think he is he has truly gone through the transformation process, right? He he cocooned himself, he came in as a caterpillar, <laughs> cocooned himself, and now he's sprawling out as a massive blocking bu- butterfly. Um, <laughs> Somehow that doesn't quite it's not congruous, but it works. It it's not as tough, but you get the visual. Yes, you know, I got the visual. Not, I mean, there's nothing uh, there's nothing uh, really aggressive or mean about a butterfly, but at the same time <laughs> It's a growth process because he is long and 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 and, and wiry um, as a guy. Um, Labs, I wanted to talk to you. You know, obviously we had a lot of a lot, a lot of questions about Bozzi, but then there was a lot of questions about Presley. And I thought that last question that you answered was really good. And you know, I want people to hear that. You know, the guy asked a question about why didn't he punt like on free kicks after a safety. Um, after the touchdowns, and, and you obviously said that would have been a better result, but that's against the rules. Can you just kind of further explore that? Because, I mean, you know, everybody's upset. Oh, my gosh, why hasn't he practiced a field goal or kickoffs before? He's a punter. He's a punter. That is his job. You know, it's it's not like you're asking a quarter. You know, now, granted, Ben's the exception, right? Ben is the – he can do a ranger punt because Ben has punted before. But everybody has one position – 
and one skill set that they're brought in for, especially at special teams. So you don't cross train special teams positions because you're in the specialist group. So can you just explain that a little bit better? So the guys who did not get to read this understand that as well, if they're questioning that at home. Well, uh, you know, I think that one of the comparisons I made was, you know, it's the same kind of question I get. Why can't the center just long snap? Because <laughs> it's not the same thing. Right. It's not. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've talked to Danny Smith about this in some detail. And, you know, they want it, you know, 1.1, 1.2 to get back to the holder in, in, in terms of a place kick. Um, and not only that, but you have to rotate the ball so that when the holder catches it, most of the time he doesn't have to spin it so the laces are facing out. So, so yeah. just, just think about that, that skill, okay? And then, as I say to Danny Smith, I said, okay, what's a good time, you know, for a long snapper to get the ball back to the holder? And he said something like, uh, between 1.1 and 1.2, um, you're in the Pro Bowl. Uh, 1.2 to 1.3, um, you have a job in this league. Anything over 1.3, you're working at 7 and 11. You know, so that's, that's that. Because there's only there's only 32 of those jobs. I mean, it's not like, all due respect to you guys, it's not like offensive line when you carry you. 9 or 10 per team on a roster. you got one long snapper, one punter, one place kicker, okay? You know, why doesn't uh, Boswell practice punting? Well, <laughs> you know, the guy's made 89% of his field goal attempts over his career, 100% in the playoffs, you know, do you take, um, you know, it, it's a certain swing that he has. Right. With his leg. You're going to mess with that and change it. Nope. And then, you know, you need that uh, 48 yard or whatever it was that, to tie the game in, uh, against Seattle in the fourth quarter. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Coach Tomlin. Uh, I was working on my punting. And so I <laughs> sank that field goal we needed to tie the game. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that works. Now, the yeah. rule, as far as the rule, um, you can, after a touchdown on the free kick, you either kick it off the tee or drop kick it. Um, but, you know, a drop kick, the ball has to hit the ground. You drop the ball, it hits the ground, and you kick it. Now, that's, um, you know, that's a lost art, and you don't get very <laughs> much distant on drop yeah. kicks. And so I just ignored that part of it because, to me, you know, that, that just muddies the waters. But because after a safety on a free kick, uh, the team that was uh, caught for the safety, then they kicked the ball to the other team from the 20. You're allowed to either punt it or put it on a tee. But after a touchdown, you either put it on a tee or drop kick it. So Presley Harvin could not punt the ball after the touchdown. Excellent explanation. Excellent segment. Thank you so much, Labs. We appreciate your time coming in the locker room. Great stuff as always, my friend. Thanks for coming in. Uh, hey, Thanks, talk Labs. to you guys next week. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right, that's the great Bob Labriola. We'll be back with more. It's Wolf Starks and the Ninjas in the locker room. Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. And we're back in the locker room, Wolf, Starks, and the Ninjas, ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. 
Number's 412-919-1316 if you want to get in the locker room and state your case. We take all comers. Absolutely. But, Max, you just made a great point off uh, off the air as we're commiserating there, my friend. You said that uh, OBJ, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., one target. One target, and, yeah, you'd like to think, okay, maybe, you know, whoever covering, whether it's Joe Hayden, Cam Sutton, somebody shut him down, but one target, get Zooks, man. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it, it was, it was interesting because, you know, we're, as you're going through the passing breakdown, right, um, for Baker Mayfield, he went uh, 20 of 31. So in those 31 attempts, 10 of those go to Jarvis Landry, catches half of those. Um, but then the next 11 go to the tight ends between Austin Hooper, David Njoku, and uh, Harrison Bryant. And then you have to go all the way to the bottom of, 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 the, of the receiving charts. And OBJ, one target, one catch for six yards, that was it. Now, I know Joe Hayden is a really good corner. But at the same time, it was interesting to see like how – He's just been developed out of this offense. I, I get you're coming back, but this is your second game back. One target. That's the one thing that's crazy to me. So you wonder they're going through a, a passing game shuffle here on what the priorities are because there was a lot of three tight end sets in this game to, to keep up the run. But for him to only get one target, that's pretty strange for a guy of his caliber. Absolutely. Um, we just got some news in. Well, our ninjas are working overtime here, and they just came up with this little factoid. Uh, I, apparently, we have just traded Melvin Ingram yep. to the Kansas City Chiefs. For, that was going to be my next statement. Ah, yep. look at that. Like, yeah. Max and the Ninjas, you guys are all over at me. I'm like. Yeah, I know. 12 minutes ago, the trade was made. Yes. Uh, Mel Ingram yeah. is now a Kansas City Chief. Huh. Yeah. yeah and, and here's the funny thing. He actually. Six-round draft pick, by the way. Uh, all so right. You got a six-round compensa- compensation, but. Mel Ingram was in their building before we signed him. So he had already been to the Chiefs. So I think finally they realized that, okay, Frank Clark and Chris Jones aren't the only ones that can get sacks. We need somebody on the edge that needs to get sacks as well. Right, right. If you watch that game last night, it was was a brutally tough game to watch. Um, But that defense is just getting eviscerated left and right. So you need some pass rush pressure. And like I said, Mel Ingram put put the the, – put the film on tape and showed everybody what he still can do. And when healthy, he could still be a difference maker. So, you know, yes, we got a six round draft pick. Yes, we did lose some depth, but you know, I think with the way that we had the rotation going, he was going to have a more minimal role. And after playing so much early with guys getting injured, he realized nah. I want to play more. <laughs> I don't want to be just a situational pass rusher. Do you think – my impression is that he came here thinking that he was going to beat out Alex Highsmith is what I kind of yeah. thought, you know? Yeah. I mean, that he yeah. definitely thought – and Alex Highsmith has just been playing terrific football. The kid's playing well and developing well along those lines. And I think then it became this problem of, okay, we got this rotation, but, you know, those outside pass rushers, they, they need a break now and then. But they don't need a regular rotation. They get better as the game heats up if their conditioning is correct. You know, they want to take it to the big boys, make the big hoofers have to run. And it's the accumulation of different pass rushes on them that gets them home on the pass rushes, don't you think? You know, where you, you, you do a number of things to set up that offensive tackle. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. Like, So to take you in the mindset, when you're playing against a certain talent, and, and this goes for the offensive linemen that play against the D linemen, right? True. You, stu- you study what they're good at, and you study their primary move, and then you study their backup move. And then you might have one other – so three pass rush moves that you really train for as a lineman watching. But the biggest thing on how you grade those second and third moves is you watch how do they get into that one. Mm. What was the precursor that led to them using the alternative move? And you try and you're trying to combat that, right? And if you think they have a pretty good second move, okay, how do I keep them in their first move as long as possible? The one that I feel most comfortable combating. So you watch those things. And I think that's the cat and mouse game that goes kind of – this is now more – nerddom right this is the this is the nuts and bolts of offensive line play is you're waiting for that backup move you're waiting for him to give you that key that's going to let you know hey this is what he also likes to do and he and if he's not getting success with the original move he's going to go to this how often into it and how late into his progression do you see it is it after the fifth unsuccessful pass rush or is it the third unsuccessful pass rush where is his foot alignment? Like all of these things are things. And as a and as an outside backer and defensive end, that's what you're doing. You're like, I'm going to lull him into this. So now you're both keeping count on this. And the good ones, no one, no one the other is going to do it. And the bad ones are just like, I'm just trying to survive for this play. <laughs> you know? Right. And I, and that that's kind of the more nuanced approach. I'm not expecting Dan Moore to do that, but you know, for TJ, for Alex Highsmith, for a Mel Ingram, a Cam Hayward, a step to it. Like, that's what they're thinking. And that's where you have to kind of get to that higher level management. And <clears throat> Dan Moore's going to learn that. He um, is going to learn. Because he is, but he doesn't know it yet. And Chooks doesn't know it yet. But when you when they get veteran seasoned, it's, it's going to be a heck of a thing when that light bulb goes off that, hey, okay, I know if I keep this half-man relationship, half-man meaning – his outside half, his inside half is with my outside half. That's the relationship you're always trying to keep because that keeps him pressing on the edge. He doesn't have to peek inside. When you jump or you get even with that guy and you give him the two-way go, that's when bad things happen. Right. <laughs> that's when the world's turned upside down. Um, or you jump outside and dude has inside foot back and he just knifes inside. You're like, uh-oh. <clears throat> that, that's when the Olay blocks happen and that's when bad things happen in the backfield. So – it's that cat and mouse type of deal. And I'll say this. The one mo- play in the Cleveland game that I think sealed the fate for Melvin Ingram was that backside was that backside rundown on Nick Chubb. Oh, you yeah. That By Alex goal? Highsmith, yes. Yeah, when he tackled him <clears throat> for a one-yard gain, and that could have no, been – No, it was a one-yard loss. Home run. Oh, one-yard loss. Yeah. And that could have been a home run because there was nobody there in run support um, on, the, on the inside zone to the right, and Alex was playing on the – the de- he was playing the defensive right, but offensive left. And you had and two wide receivers out there that had cleared out that right area, the right flat, and going up the sidelines. That was a big play, Max. That was going to be – you're a- exactly right. Highsmith really showed great speed and closing speed on that. By the way, you know, when you talk about a pass rusher and, and knowing – I remember years ago playing against a Cleveland Brown guy named Carl Harrison. And Harrison had a great spin, but he was one of these guys that throw the uppercut and get his hip alongside you like a judo throw and try to lift you on that. And all, and all yeah. I remember was I worked all week long on punching his hip. One hand would take the chest, 
one hand on the hip. Don't let the hip get next to you because he can't spin if you don't let that hip come next to you. And those are the things that you know as an offensive lineman. You go into the game, your, your scouting takes care of that, and that gives you that ability to be able to anticipate what the guy's going to do. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's techniques off of that, like you said, yes. right? Once that guy gets hip-to-hip hip with you, if you have that front hand on his chest, that low hip slides down the back, gets to the hip. Yep. That's what we call flapjack flippers flapjack. right there. That, that, that motion right there. <laughs> Because, you know, as a left tackle, so try and It's always about the, the food. The yes, it is. <laughs> That's why we call them pancakes, Wolf. That's right, right uh, baby. Because we, we need a food association with our success. So, but yeah, if you have the left hand on the chest, if you're saying you're playing the left side, that right hand is right there on the shoulder. You slide it down to the hip. That forces the motion as you press the hip forward and the chest back, that creates that bend. And then right. next thing you know, backage, back <laughs> slippage. Yes. And he's looking up yeah. He's looking up at the stars. As the old dirt pit wrestlers in India used to say back in the 19th yeah. century, he showed them the sky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you pin somebody. All right, That's we're going right. to go take a break. That's the first hour of In the Locker Room. It's a wrap. We'll be back with more Wolf Starks and the Ninjas. ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio.